Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets show. It's our final podcast of the year. Uh, we've just put the biggest issue of the year to the printers. Uh, we've got it back, in fact. And um, yeah, it's been it's been a, a gargantuan effort this week to get this out. Uh, we're all extremely tired. And uh, if you thought last week was unprepared, this week we're even worse. Joining me today are uh, Stephen Wilmot, our company's editor. Hello, Stephen. Hello, John. Simon Thompson. Hello, who's uh, who's uh, who's come up for the day and uh, to see us all before Christmas? How are you doing? It's a pleasure, John. As always, as always. Uh, and then uh, in the control room, we've got uh, Graham Davis, hello, John, and uh, Mark Robinson. Hello there, John. And uh, they're sharing a mic. It's all it's all very uh, it's, it's all very cozy in there. Um, so anyway, uh, we've got so much in the magazine this week. You know, there is no chance we're going to get through this uh, in today's podcast. So we're going to have to be quite selective. Um, but but I think the best place to start is um, with Graham um, and to talk through what is our final roundup of uh, of what's happened over the last seven days this this year. So um, so Graham, what what has been happening? It's been another eventful week. It has. I mean, normally normally it calms down a bit this time of year. Everyone goes to the pub for Christmas drinks and uh, not much happens on the markets but this week it's been very interesting indeed oils continue to fall which is uh, shaking everybody and and Russia is just having having a complete and utter Christmas nightmare um the, the I think what's happening there is that obviously the oil prices that is the, is the most recent factor there but the sanctions started in July and that you know people are finally realizing that they are they're beginning to work yeah, Russian, Russian yeah. companies can't roll over their debt. Companies can't do a lot of business with Russia, so um, it's in it's in big trouble. But I mean, we, we've been warning about this mm. all year, and we, we talked about that specific issue of rolling over debt weeks and weeks and weeks yeah. and weeks ago. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we we haven't been caught by surprise here. No, exactly. And um, uh, but 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 some investors have. You know, the markets have been all over the place. What what we lost six percent on the FTSE last week. Mm. This week it's been up and down a bit. It's, up, it's recovered a little bit the last day or so because uh, comments out of America on the back of. Um, ne- next year's outlook and so forth. Wait, in terms of not raising interest rates, basically. not not as quickly as everybody thought. Yeah, maybe. Um, and also the Russian, the oil price has stabled a little bit, which has helped Russian, uh, the Russian situation stabilize a little bit. But that you know, the big problems over there. There's a good chart in, uh, in the news section this week, Graham, that you put together. Well, you um, help me, John. Thank you for that. Well, you know, it's, uh, I love <laughs> charts. I love charts. I've, I've really annoyed the uh, the production desk this week by <laughs> insisting that this year's Christmas issue has more charts in it than usual. You've, you've even included the charts of the year feature, John. This I week, know. Well, well, I enjoyed that. Well, yeah, yeah. we did that together, yeah. and um, that was uh, something I thought it's, it's re- you know a picture tells a thousand words or so they say, and I thought mm. I thought it was quite useful to to actually see if we could actually tell the story of the year in in pictures or charts, yeah. even graphs. They're not quite as quite as exciting as pictures, but but I think we have. Um, let's talk about that. Why not? Why not, John? I mean, we've got eight charts, and um, in fact, we can all we can all pitch in on this one because um, there's there's bits and bobs here um, that cover everyone's sectors. Um, maybe let's start with with oil. Um, we've got one on, on uh, U.S. oil output. But Mark, perhaps you can talk us about what's what's happened in America, which is very much behind the explanation of what's been happening with the oil price. It's been linked as one of the main reasons behind the oil fall, but of course there's been a, a fall away in uh, Asian demand too. So I mean, there's a number of factors going on, and and actually, the the longer this is sort of dragged on, uh, the more I've become convinced that there's um, there's a sort of political element behind this as well. I mean, I, I know I'm sort of sort of drifting into conspiracy theory territory here, but when you look at what's happening around the world at the moment from a geopolitical point of view. Uh, who, who, are the, who are the winners? Who are the winners with the oil price uh, fall? Well, um, China, obviously. Um, Saudi Arabia, from a security point of view, I mean, they don't want to see a sort of revitalized Iran in, in the region. 
And of all, the biggest loser is obviously uh, Vladimir Putin at this moment. And all of this plays into sort of uh, the hands of U.S. foreign po- policy at the moment. And uh, it's got willing sort of backers with the, with, with the Saudis as well. It's a point I made a couple of months ago. And, uh, and obviously, it, it doesn't dismiss the fundamentals of the market, but it's an addition to it. You know, um, over the last uh, 18 months or so, the uh, unconventional production in the U.S. has sort of uh, has boomed mm. at the same time as demand was falling. So, I mean, obviously, that's going to have an impact on the, on the oil price itself. And plus, uh, a rising U.S. dollar has, uh, has also uh, added to this. Okay, so, the, so, so I guess the, the counter-argument to that is that, well, a lot of these shale produced in the U.S. will, will, will suddenly become econom- uneconomic. Well, as yeah. the price falls, well, yeah. and, th- and therefore that production will be curtailed and, and will support the price uh, in the long term. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the, uh, the counter-argument that, that the Saudis um, producers are trying to shake some of the low or the high margin producers out of the market. But, I mean, I've, I've, read, um, I've read differing reports on this. There, there's, there are actually dozens of independents working in places like the Marcellus and the Bakken Shell. You know, while some of them will actually probably leave the market, those that are, that are leveraged in particular... I mean, I've read differing reports about um, uh, production costs in the Marsalis and Bakken, which suggest that, you know, the large-scale producers will hang on. They'll, they'll, they'll hang on at $40 a barrel. You know, I'm, I'm not sure that argument holds much water, that, that that's what the Saudis are intent on doing, shaking some of that uh, production out, out of uh, the unconventional space in America. Um, but only time will tell. Mm. What does this mean for the oil price next year? What, what are we saying? Well, I know we debated this at, at length as, as to what we, we thought that the average level of oil would be in 2015. Yeah, well, I, but from a personal perspective, I'm, I'm slightly more uh, bullish than uh, most of the reports we've been reading uh, in the financial press. I mean, we, we've had some analysts come out and saying that we're going to have a, an average price of $50 a barrel through next year. I can't say it's, think it's going to be anything like that because the marginal rate of production for the industry as a whole has increased e- even through conventional sources so i mean um, you know I, I'm, I'm looking at something upwards of 70 dollars a barrel 80 dollars a barrel it wouldn't surprise me at all you know i mean price has been falling now for six months uh, there's another point as well we look back to when the the oil price spike of uh, 2007 2008 at that point analysts uh, famously from goldman sachs for instance were predicting that oil was going to go up to 200 dollars a barrel and within a, a few, a couple of months, it, it dropped about, well, I think it was about 73%. I mean, it was a huge fall. So, I mean, it's the usual, it's the usual business with uh, petroleum markets. Um, uh, sort of uh, greed gives way to fear, and, the, and then people rush in, stocks are oversold. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm far more optimistic for prices for over the course of next year. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Um- Okay, so, so some other charts we've got. And I'm going to turn to Stephen with the next one because you know, one of the things um, that has characterised 2014 has been the, the, the hunt for yield. And um, one way a lot of, uh, of, of investors, a lot of, of our readers, in fact, have, have tried to obtain that yield is by investing in, in buy-to-let properties. Um, and there's, um, there's actually a, a school of thought that suggests when the pension reforms um, come in next year and you, you have the ability to spend your pension pot as you like, a lot, a lot more people will pile into buy-to-let properties. Yeah, we've got, you've got a nice chart here um, showing the, the tenures on your, on your occupation, private renting, social renting. And, and of course, the, the most uh, eye-catching, I think, I suppose, about the latest numbers from the English Housing Survey is that private renting overtook social renting for the first time in in years, certainly since this chart began. I mean, if you look further back, of course, um, private renting was the norm mm. back, back in Victorian times. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, 
was um, taken over by owner occupation during the 30s, 40s, 50s, I think, when interest rates were very low and and the sort of mass mortgage market developed. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 the the liberalisation of the, the the pension rules is, is an interesting one, um, interesting factor that hasn't really been fully explored. I mean, the extent to which people could cash in their um, their pensions and rather than buying an annuity, buy a buy to let property. Mm, I think Mo- Moira explores this in, in a feature she's written uh, in, in, in our uh, bumper 55-page feature section in this week's issue. Um, I mean, you know, there, there have been warnings on this. You know, I think people mm. underestimate the, the, the cost and the difficulty in being a landlord um, for some quite, you know, sort of eye-catching headline income figures that you see but yeah it, buying a land, yeah. being a landlord is not easy no it's a, it's a hands-on business or or an expensive one if you try and outsource that so mm, but um but but nevertheless a lot of people are unperturbed and you know that graph tells a very interesting story that you know it's it, it's a market in on the way up and you know in terms of owner occupation that's on the way down yeah i mean it, it's been falling since the early noughties um, as a proportion of the whole population Partly because of very high house prices, and but I think also because of demographic trends, people are marrying later. Jobs for life are a thing of the past, and, and homes for life, therefore, you know, are something that people perhaps get more interested in, to, in when they're in their thirties and forties rather than yeah, their twenties. I'm getting there. <laughs> about to move hopefully it's the last time it's a, it's a nightmare but there you go there you go um okay well i mean that's that's it. i mean house builders um we think remain unaffected by this trend new houses are a bit of a different thing i mean one of the interesting trends or divergences of this year i suppose has been the house builders versus estate agents mm. and estate agents have plummeted like a stone for the past eight months as kind of stocks dried up but house builders have staged a comeback since august um, on the stock market and I think that that's quite an interesting chart because it shows that the cooling has been in the second hand markets yeah. and yeah the, the undersupply story remains quite strong and in fact Simon let's bring Simon in at this point because you called your house builder trade your annual house builder trade early this year at the end of uh, November I actually advised buying into the FTSE um, 350 house building sector um, despite the turmoil in equity markets since then the house builders have actually flatlined on a price performance since mm. the last week of November which is good which is good so it's showing absolute outperformance um and my own view hasn't changed. I still believe that in the first quarter next year, they're going to outperform the market and actually post positive positive returns for um, for shareholders and yeah. investors. Absolutely. Well, we had um, uh, in our tip updates uh, section this week, there was an update from uh, Bellway, which is one of the, uh, the UK house builders, which was, uh, was pretty good. And uh, it's a company we tipped... Uh, in the summer of last year, when yeah, there's been a nervousness around the housing market and uh, done very well, well. Yeah, I mean, one of the big stories, of course, in the UK equity market this year was um, the changing expectations around interest rate increases. So yeah, at the yeah. beginning of the year, people were happy to forget that interest rates were ever going to go up. And then suddenly that changed in about March, April. People started thinking, oh, well, Carney's going to tighten. Everything's looking rosy. And at that point, there was a big sell-off in house builders and of and other UK consumer cyclical stocks. Mm. But then, perhaps because of the euro, there was sort of bad news out of the eurozone, and yeah, in the autumn that that just reversed, and now people think that the US is going to be the first country to tighten, though. After the latest dovish comments, well, indeed, but, pushed it, back but it's, been, well. but it's been pushed it back again. <laughs> so Dummy. every time there's a market wobble, I mean, it's been yeah, yet again. In October, um, the market fell. 10% and then central banks all came out with dovish noises. Then now, now the market's fallen again and um, and mm. the, the US Federal Reserve is obliged. I mean, it, it really does underline a point that Simon's 
been making for some time um, that bad news is good news in this sort of strange. Yeah, I was, was going to I was going to bring that up now because uh, Simon's written a couple of features for for us this uh, this Christmas and um, both in fact the the one on Europe it, it, it is that the bad news coming out of Europe is actually great news for equities. I know it sounds completely mad, John, but it actually is. I mean, you look at all the economic data coming out of Europe, it's just absolutely horrendous. Um, We're looking at um, a region that's either stagnated at best or actually going backwards. Mm. Inflation is 0.3%, so it's heading towards deflation territory of 0%, miles off the ECB's target of 2% inflation inflation targets. You like the charts? These are fantastic charts. I'm just looking at the feature for the first time. And John, the, these charts, are they, they, they exemplify exactly. everything I'm talking about. Um, but as I said, the, the, news is, the news is so bad, the economic news is so bad, what it does do is increase the chance of the ECB launching full, unsterilised quantitative easing in the first quarter next year. And if that happens, that could be very good news for equities. Yeah, so there's actually, it's possibly my favourite ever photo caption in the Investors Chronicle. And I'm going to give full credit to production editor Kate um, Disney here. Um, we have in your second feature, which is the, 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 the feature about QE more generally, uh, German Bundesbank president Jens Friedman is opposed to quantitative easing. And next to that is a photo of uh, Bank of Japan governor Haruhiko Kuroda, who is keen. Oh, God, <laughs> I love it. I just love that. But actually, it's, it's kind of that simple. Both middle-aged it's, men with glasses. <laughs> indeed. But it's kind of that simple. Um, so, but, yeah, I mean, I know you're talking about you know, the prospect of Euro QE, but, you know, Mr. Mr. Viedman is is being extremely vocal in his opposition of it. Viedman, John. I, I will bow to your superior knowledge of German pronunciation there, Stephen. I, I think so, the... <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, you spent some time in Germany. I, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> pronunciation aside, I, I, I think, John, the most important thing to, to note here is Mario Draghi, who's the president of the ECB, mm. has actually come out and said that he doesn't need full support to go ahead. But, but with, this is Germany. Th- this is Germany. Germany only accounts for 25% of the population of the European Union. It only accounts for 27% of the GDP. Big numbers, but it's not the majority. And the ECB can actually go ahead and launch full, unblown, sterilised QE, buying up sovereign bonds of the member states, buying up corporate bonds um, mm. across the region without the support of the German members on the ECB Council. I think we should remember that. Mm. Well, I mean, that's, that's a pretty extraordinary state of affairs. I mean, it's it, it almost suggests that a schism is on the is on the way. Well, it's, it's already there in Europe, but uh, but one that you don't think is going to get in the way of, of full blown QE next I, I year. I don't. I, I, if anything, the chances of it happening are even nearer now, given what's actually happening in Greece. I mean, as we are talking now, um, Greece is looking far more likely to go to a full-blown general election mm. as a result of the current uh, incumbent party not being able to actually push through um, their, their um, candidate for the presidency. As a result of that, the ch- chances of Greece blowing up are even greater. Mm. And the one thing that the ECB will have to do in that circumstances is quell the markets. And the one thing that will do that is actually launching QE. Mm. And I think Angela Merkel might be forced into a situation, a political situation that she never wanted to be put into, but a political situation nonetheless, that she'll have to accept if she wants the EU to remain in its current state, with or without Greece, the sacrifice she'll have to make 
is actually accept QE. Mm, well, extraordinary stuff. And yeah, one of the charts we've got in our, our year in charts is uh, is the trajectory of uh, of Bund yields, German German government bonds, and you know they dropped below one percent this year, which which is which was a massively significant event at the time. And you know this is a year in which people predicted that you know the 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 bubble, as it's been described in, in government debt, was going to burst, and it just didn't happen. I was talking to um, a chief economist at Gloskin Chef, a Canadian wealth management firm with billions of dollars under management, and um, he actually said that 80% of the pricing of uh, sovereign uh, bonds in the EU, so German, France, Italian bonds, um, already factor in QE. Yeah, That's as far as it's gone. And... At the moment, the German bond yield, I was looking at the screen before we actually came into this, this room, it's 0.58%. It's still dropping. It? It's still dropping. It's not just <laughs> below 1%, it's 0.58%. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Um, and that is, that is something that, again, Mario Draghi will be looking at um, when he's factoring in and the council for the uh, governing council for the ECB as for their decision in the first quarter next year. And I, I expect it to happen in the first quarter next year for them to actually blitz the corporate bond market first. That's a 1.4 trillion uh, Euro bond markets, and, and I expect the ECB to go in there first mm. on the way to sovereign government bond purchases. Mm. As course, a way, oh, sorry, Stephen. So I was just going to say, um, I mean, very much backing up your point, but this is the key reason to, for buying equities at this level, isn't it? I mean, valuation reasons are neither, you know, they're neither obviously cheap or expensive in the UK, but compared to government bond yields, the yield, the four point five percent yield on the FTSE all share, is strikingly high. Mm. In, well, in terms of asset allocation, as, as Stephen was saying, the yield on the the FTSE all share is 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 chunky compared with you know mm. compared with one point eight three percent ten year UK government bond yields. That's a two point seven percent gap. I mean, that's that's huge. Mm. Um, and the same is actually true in the EU as well, um, given that their bond yields are even lower. What some people at the moment, because everyone's getting really worked up about markets falling and the oil price shooting down. But let's remember, the IMF say that every $20 drop in the oil price is equivalent to 0.5% boost to global GDP. Um, Analysts at Commerce Bank went on record two weeks ago and said that the drop in the oil price, and this is before the latest plunge, the drop in the oil price will actually boost German GDP by half a percent next year. So there are factors positive to the EU and again, that's beneficial for the UK, that people are just ignoring at the moment. But maybe when markets, you know, stabilise, they'll actually wake up to the fact that lower oil prices are tantamount to a tax cut for consumers, mm. a boost to businesses, it reduces logistic costs, uh, which is a major cost for majority of businesses. Um, and it's, it's, it's basically should be good for equities. We, we've got a lot of views in the magazine this week from a number of fund managers. Um, yeah, one, one of the views I, I thought quite interesting was that uh, one, of, one of the guys, Jeremy Thomas, uh, who's uh, at the Brunner Investment Trust, he suggests that the spike in volatility that we saw in October could be repeated many times in the year ahead. I mean, one of the charts we've got in the in the year in charts is that, you know, volatility has, has generally been trending down, um, but with these spikes. You know, investors have to be somewhat brave, I suspect, in the year ahead to, to actually just ride out what could be little storms that pop up time and time again. John, I'm not saying go out by equities now. What, what I'm saying is, with especially in Europe, with a certain number of factors in our favour the outlook is far rosier than is actually being priced into valuations at the moment. Yep. And 
The primary one for Europe, and it affects UK equities as well, is if the ECB do actually press the button and actually declare QE. Okay. Well, thank you, thank you, Simon. I mean, one of the other the other factors we've we've seen this year, and I think I'm going to bring Graham back here um, to talk about uh, the feature that Graham wrote for us, which was uh, uh, about small caps. Um, and actually, Simon, you know, uh, stay on the line, as it were, because you know this is your area of expertise as well. Um, small caps have had a pretty torrid time. I think you've you've talked about this yourself, Simon. And, you know, and, and, and I I speculate that that actually you know the the outperformance of large caps is is as much to do with nervousness. Um, a, flight to quality. a flight to quality, a flight to safety, which is why you've seen you know, things like bunge yields getting to those those very low levels as well. Um, small caps are an interesting th- you know part of the mix for for us at the IC. What do we think is going to happen next year? Because it's not been a nice year, quite frankly. Crystal ball time, I suppose. Oh, no, well, I mean, you, yeah. yeah, I mean to take your point there, it was a flight to quality, but also I mean small caps have had a great couple of years as well up to the beginning of this year. As Simon knows well, I mean, small caps had, had outperformed pretty strongly, and there's always going to be a bit of uh, return to mean and a bit, a bit, of, mm. bit of correction there. Um, and I, it's a difficult one for next year. I mean, small caps generally do well when the economy is recovering. The UK economy is recovering. We've seen some good performances from consumer focused small caps and the house builders and so forth. It's interesting to note um, that some of the you know some of the more interesting floats this year on on, on the smaller. Um, Markets on AIM and, and small caps have been the consumer-related ones. Mm. Uh, Simon's recommended a couple of them, N2 and uh, Manx Telecom, uh, both cons- sort of consumer-related stocks. Although I know Manx is a, a, a yield player as well, isn't it, Simon? Well, well um, Epwin, N2, Flotec, mm. Manx Telecom all have decent yields. Um, they, they're all in excess of 5%. Um, for those four, they've actually done quite well. If you, you've bought into all four, either at flotation or when we recommended them in the magazine, you've actually done quite well, considering that the AIM index this year is actually down 20%. Um, they've actually not only outperformed the index, but they've actually posted decent decent growth as well. Um, I think the key there, Graham, is the fact that the yield plays. So yeah. in this low interest rate environment with you know 10-year bond yields, 1.83%, 30-year bond yields, 2.5%, people are still in search of yield. Mm. Um, and, well, a couple of those are actually building companies, so I've got exposure to the uh, construction industry, um, and that is one part um, of the economy that's actually been leading the growth. Um, yeah. So they're in the right place at the right time. And obviously small caps, and you know, traditionally people have gone into small caps for growth, not, not necessarily for yield. But um, I think that, that focus has changed a bit in recent months as, as people have become a bit more circumspect and looking for a decent uh, decent income and of course aim stocks being eligible for isa that has helped a great deal we looked at i mean looked at the, some of the figures uh, the, the the in terms of volumes i mean aim has been a very popular market in terms of volumes this year it's been very volatile but uh, the number of shares traded uh, it has beaten all previous um uh, uh, records for the last five years number of bargains total shares traded on on, on aim have both set new records a lot, a lot of the weakness a lot of the weakness on aim though has been the the resources yeah. sectors has, has it not horrible place to be this year horrible place to be and resources companies make up what is it simon over a quarter possibly almost a third of the index don't they? I, I think the statistic you had growing was 300 of the mm. 1200 or so companies listed on the aim mm. index yeah. are actually resources so it's, it's Yes, it's twenty five percent Graham. And there's been they've been pretty you know there's been been a wipeout amongst the resources stocks this year. So, so I mean, you could conclude from that that the problem is not necessarily small caps, but 
exposure to certain sectors actually dragging down an index as a whole. And the FTSE 100, and you know, turning back to our charts of the year, the FTSE 100 has massively underperformed the S&P 500 this mm. year. Um, and you know, you could you could put that down. You could easily put that down to the fact that it has a much higher proportion of um, resources focused yeah. shares in it. And that's why AIM has massively underperformed the small cap. And the small cap index mm, itself mm. has 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 underperformed, but nothing like the the the, the underperformance of AIM. Mm. And AIM is is a resource heavy index like like the FTSE 100. Uh, interesting. Small caps, not necessarily anything wrong with them specifically, but but stock picking remains the order of the day. I guess uh, that's what we have to conclude there. Yes, I mean you look at some of the performances on 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 the small you know, small cap markets. If you'd picked the right stocks, you would have enjoyed a very very good year this year. Yeah. Um, but pick the wrong ones, and you you've you've been pretty much cleaned out. The oil and uh, gas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, if you pick the right stocks in the in the coming year, and and maybe some of the ones that Simon talked about, where, where which are backed by yield as well, or, or asset backed stocks, the real estate stocks amongst the smaller companies have been the be- amongst the best performers. You, you're probably, you know, you're probably in a decent place starting off looking, looking in those areas. And we had a bit of news from one of your uh, your picks this week, uh, Hangar Eight, which is quite quite an interesting little uh, little story there. It's, it's a very interesting story, and um, it's, it's one of those companies that the, the shares have done really well. They were up about fifty percent um, by the start of last week when I, I was looking at it, and um, it was a question, you know, should I say take profits on this or? is the more upside. And then the company then announces a deal to actually become one of the largest operators of private jets um, in the world. Um, And when you go through the numbers for the new merged entity, it really does make sense for both both shareholders. And um, the upside, without a huge amount of risk, um, actually does justify a higher equity valuation. So, but yeah, I, I updated it and uh, I've given my, my latest view. Okay, interesting. Um, so, uh, yeah, plenty more to uh, where that came from, I, I guess, in the year ahead, Simon. We're, uh, I, lessons, I, lessons learned, though, from uh, 2014. A lot of lessons, um, not just for myself, for, for many investors. Um, I was having a look at the FTSE 350 index to see um, what the sector performances were. And this was the start of this week. And out of the 44 sectors, 25 of those were actually negative territory. Um, so only 19 sectors had actually risen. But out of those 25 sectors that had fallen, the average loss was 19%. It was it was huge. So I think a lot of people will be looking at mistakes they've made this year in terms of their allocation, the sectors they were actually invested in, thinking why did that happen? Um, to actually learn for the future um, and to look at the bigger picture as well. That's that's something else um, I, I've, I've noted in some of my pieces um, recently, that um, you can look at companies on a specific micro basis, um, but ultimately, if sentiment is driven by the bigger picture, it doesn't matter how good the company is and how good the fundamentals are on that company, but if sentiment is against the country that company is operating in, mm. it, it, it's not going to help you at all. It, it does suggest that, um, you know, where there has been an indiscriminate sell-off, you, you might find pockets of value in, in, in those sectors, though. Absolutely. I mean, for example, in the oil and gas sector, I, I noted in um, an article on Tuesday um, this week, um, cash-rich, undervalued oil plays, um, that shares in global energy development, a company that hasn't done well since I advised buying two years ago, um, but a company that's just sold off a major asset to the point that at the moment it's got 74 pence a share of cash on its balance sheet. No debt, share price 50 pence. 
and it's got free carry on a drilling program worth $24 million because it did farm out deals earlier this year. So you're actually buying into a company um, below its cash level with very little cash burn and a free carry on a drilling program. Okay. Um, that's not that's not the only example. It's not isolated. There are lots of companies out there that have been sold off so heavily um, that there is actually value. We saw another example of that this morning, Simon, of, of, of Fortune Oil. You were telling me about, I mean, they've had a bid this morning, but actually the, the situation there is that they, they have a shareholding in another company, which is worth, uh, was, was it three times the market capitalization of the company itself? Great, great. It was worth more than three times. When I updated its uh, Fortune Oil, it's one of my 2014 bargain shares. The company is worth 180 million market cap. Its stake in China Gas Holdings was worth 600 million sterling. So it's more than three times mm. as much. And it had very little debt. Um, and that's actually tempted some of the major shareholders in Fortune Oil to actually launch a bid for the company um, at a um, near 50% premium to yesterday's closing price. So that's um, Wednesday's closing price. And at a premium of over 100% if um, contingent value rights um, share um, offering also goes through. Um, so w- what I'm saying is that, yes, the sector, the oil sector has been sold off, mm. but there is value out there. And I expect more of the same to continue with people identifying the value. And if these companies actually aren't re-rated, they're going to get taken yeah, out. So some seri- there are some isolated, serious anomalies in, in valuations. Uh, absolutely, Graham. Yeah. Well, that's good news because that's what we do. We we try and find those anomalies and uh, and help our readers exploit them. Um, so um, I think that unfortunately is, is all we have time for uh, this year. It's been a, it's been a very interesting year, up and down. Lots of uh, lots of uh, interesting um, geopolitical developments. Lots of bright spots too. I hope um, I would encourage you to go out and pick up the Christmas issue because there is far more in it than we could possibly ever do justice to in several hours. I've read over a hundred pages in the last two days. I believe that it will arm you fully for, for an interesting year ahead um, and one in which, as we've heard, there's, there's, there's value to be found. There are opportunities to be had, but I, as always, think you need to, uh, to be careful and, uh, as Graham said, described it circumspect in how you, you, you approach the market. So, anyway, I, ho- I hope you found uh, our podcast useful. We've certainly enjoyed doing them. Um, I hope you've had a, a successful year on the markets, um, albeit one that may have challenged you, and uh, I, uh, I look forward to, uh, to joining you again in 2015. Uh, and in the meantime, I hope you all have a, a wonderful Christmas and uh, a very happy Happy New Year. See you soon. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save